Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Truths We Hide podcast. Today's guest is Sam Unglo. Um, this topic, I, I want to warn you, just because I know there's listeners out there who aren't, are still not, they're, they're kind of afraid to talk about child abuse or mental illness or just anything in that area. So this one I'm specifically interested in because I grew up Catholic and I can't wait for Sam to talk about it because he's actually the voice for his brother. He wrote a book called The Truth About Sexual Abuse in the Catholic Church and I'm I'm just fascinated. So thank you Sam for being on here. I, I can't wait for you to share the story about something that needs to be told. Thanks Annette. Uh, great to be on the, the the podcast. Appreciate it very much. Thank you. So why don't you go ahead and tell us, I know your why. I love to ask our um, guests their why, and his specific why is to end child sexual abuse and to be the voice for those who have suffered from it. And I know that's very important. Um, I know from when I was younger, I wish I would have had that voice. I had to be my own voice and it was difficult, but to be the voice for your brother and for any other child out there that sexually abused, how you know, how did you gain that strength to be able to do this? Sure. Um, yeah, I, I would say it's been an evolution. It, it's been quite a journey uh, since my brother passed away in uh, 2010. Uh, just earlier this week was the 10-year uh, anniversary. Um, and, you know, his story is one of, you know, silence and shame. Uh, he was the classical, you know, sh shamed um, by his abuser. Uh, growing up, that was a priest who got close to our family um, after our dad died in 1981. Um, he used that event uh, to get closer to the family. And, um, you know, during a time when we really needed, you know, a positive influence, it was the exact opposite. He was grooming the family to target uh, my brother, Michael. Um, he abused him, you know, explicitly. Uh, for about three and a half or four years uh, in the early 1980s. My brother never said anything to the family. Um, and then in the um, mid-90s, the priest, uh, Richard Dorsch, was outed in Pittsburgh, um, and other victims stepped forward uh, to bring a case uh, while that victim was a teenager. Um, uh, and, you know, at that point, you know, my, my brother... You know, mentioned you know, briefly to the family that the stuff being said about Dorsch was true because you know, my mom was um, you know, wondering how he could do something like that. Um, but uh, you know, my, my brother did confirm that it happened to him. And you know, he very much tried to go on about you know, living his life and moving forward. Uh, tremendously successful, uh, was the first in our family to go to college, went to the University of Pennsylvania. Uh, was a VP on Madison Avenue, uh, but the whole time he struggled with PTSD um, as a result of all of the abuse. Um, and in 2008, you know, it seemed as time went on, his, you know, I didn't know it at the time, but, you know, the flashbacks became harder and harder to deal with, um, and his first suicide attempt was in 2008, um, which began a lot of um, interaction and follow up with the Diocese of Pittsburgh, um, where I'm from originally, um, and where we grew up. Um, now, it could have been an opportunity for them to 
write the situation um, and the Bishop of Pittsburgh at that time, and I think still today, Bishop Zubik said that he would write the wrongs of the church. Uh, but what ended up happening is while they paid for some of Michael's care, they ultimately in early um, 2010 sent us a full and final release and said if we wanted any additional funding, um, we would have to sign that both Michael and myself, I was his main advocate um, interacting with the church. Um, and that was really the final trigger um, for him because that full and final release contained you know, language that said even if the laws or statute of limitations changed that he never had you know, any right to come back and ask for anything else. Um, and it very much shows that the full and final release is part of um, my book and included in uh, The Murder of Innocence, um, The Truth About Sexual Abuse in the Catholic Church. Um, because I want people to see that ultimately they're still protecting their own interests and not the victims. Uh, in my brother's case, um, you know, I lost track of Dorsch. I know in 2010 he was uh, still alive, and I confirmed with the bishop at that time that they were still paying for his retirement, his benefits, um, even though he's a convicted pedophile. And I even said, well, you know, that's, that's fine if you want to do that, but you can't do that and then give the victim a hard time. Um, and so, you know, it's, it was just tremendously disappointed. So in many ways, you know, my brother was abused multiple times by the church, both the fact that they didn't protect him from Dorsch in the early 80s. Um, and then when he stepped forward in 2008 um, to talk to the church after his first suicide attempt, um, you know, they, they failed him uh, yet again. So, you know, for me, you mentioned yourself growing up Catholic. You know, I, I grew up in a very traditional Italian Catholic family. Um, my mom uh, was a, a war orphan in Italy, uh, World War II, uh, never knew her natural parents, uh, spent the first seven years of her life in an abusive Catholic orphanage where you know, one incident, the way they punished her was cutting off her ponytails um, for something that she had done. Um, and so she, you know, she was very much raised, you know, with the, the fear of God in her. And, you know, I, I would guess that the, you know, the priest saw that to some extent. And, you know, my mom trusted him, you know, kind of blindly and that, you know, he was, um, you know, going to take care of the family or help uh, during a difficult time. Uh, and that was, uh, betrayed. So, you know, for me, you know, before my brother died, um, he always shared with me his writings and, you know, said if something were to happen, you know, he wanted a book to be published to tell his story. So um, it took me almost uh, 10 years, uh, but I got it done in less than double digit years, um, uh, which was uh, my commitment to uh, myself. Uh, but of course, you know, that brought with it a ton of emotions for me, uh, where, you know, the first few years I was very, you know, angry over everything that happened and, you know, that needed to be processed. And then, you know, really shifting to, you know, tell his whole story, right? And so, um, you know, the book is very much set up because we never really had our day in court and could get justice through the uh, justice system um, because of the statute of limitations. It's really set up to present all the facts and, you know, as difficult as it might be for, 
you know, some Catholics to acknowledge or admit that the church did something wrong. Um, the facts are there. Um, and, you know, no institution um, uh, is perfect. Um, and so sometimes I think Catholics feel that they're being attacked um, in these types of stories. You know, that's not necessarily the case. I, I would call on them to, you know, hold their leaders um, accountable. Uh, but it's not necessarily attacking anyone's faith, but it is trying to hold accountable um, the people who got things wrong. And there were definitely wrongs that happened, not only in my brother's story, but um, in many others' uh, victims' uh, stories, unfortunately. So do you feel now that with this book, you have been able to accomplish what you're, what Michael had wanted for you to do? Yes, I, you know, the, the book, um, you know, since it's been published and it's, it's been very well received um, uh, via a lot of my connections on multiple social uh, media fronts. Um, yeah, and they've all been positive and encouraging and, you know, saying that it's a work of, of bravery. And I've, I've really been humbled by the, the feedback that I've received because, um, you know, as you mentioned in some of your comments, there's always, you know, maybe the, the fear that someone might, um, uh, you know, attack you in turn for putting something out there that is a difficult topic. Um, but I, you know, I tried to do it in a very balanced way. Um, uh, you know, the facts stand for themselves. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely gotten me to a, a new level in my own evolution on the topic. Um, and, you know, even doing this, this interview for me is I've been able to speak more about it and be a voice. Um, you know, it helps me know that I'm, you know, continuing to educate and help be a voice um, for victims, which is very important because, you know, silence is the pedophile's friend in these circumstances, and they, they almost rely on it. And so, um, you know, I, I committed myself to be anything but silent. Um, and so through, you know, my brother's foundation, even before the book, um, I always wanted there to be a presence of his story um, so that people would know about him. You know, I'm very proud of him, you know, all that he did for me growing up. Um, and so, yeah, now that the book is out there um, and it's been well received, um, uh, it, has, it has really been, meant a lot to me um, in, in my own process. That's absolutely amazing. I, I'm, I'm, I'm positive that he's very proud of you. And I think it's, it does, it takes a lot of strength and a lot of courage to, to bring this story to light, but it, it can happen and not just with Catholics, it can happen anywhere. And I think it's so important to have that advocate and, and to speak up because I know for me growing up, we were taught to not really talk about stuff. So whatever happened to me, you know, I, I was, I, ha I mean, I said something, but it was just like, no one wanted to believe it. How could it happen? Is she making it up? Just constant, a constant battle with that for trying to speak up. So I think that what you're doing is, is absolutely incredible. And it is such a blessing for you to be able to do this for him. And yeah, I, I'm, I, I can't, I, I just can't imagine um, having this, keeping the strength to be able to do it. So I'm, I'm amazed. I'm proud of you. I think it's amazing. <laughs> Thank you very much. I appreciate that, Annette. No, I, you're welcome. I, so now 
that you've gotten this out and you've shared it. And I'm so glad that it was well received because you know, this, sometimes it's hard for people to read the truth, but you need to, you need to read it. You need to understand it. You need to acknowledge it. And it's hard for people to do that. But I think with this, this is like something that absolutely needs to be said. So do you feel, do you feel a little bit more at peace with this or how do you, how do you get to that point? Cause I know for me, it's taken me over 35 years to finally be at peace with my own situation. And that was hard because I blocked it out for so many years, but how do you, you know, are you at that point or how are you able to get to that point? Um, you know, that, that's a, it's a great question. Um, and sometimes it's, it's, I guess, hard to describe it all in words, but for, for me, it hasn't necessarily been about um, finding peace, if you will. It's been more kind of what to do, um, given that it was a tragedy, given that we were never quite able to get justice. Um, uh, one of my friends one time, you know, uh, actually who I had dinner with after the, the book came out, he kind of said to me, he said, you know, you don't, he said, you don't seem angry. I, I think like I would be really angry if this, this all happened to me. And I said, well, I said, of course, you know, I, I was very angry, right? But, you know, anger can be, you know, all consuming, right? And you need to balance that out. So yes, I mean, I can still identify very much with feelings of anger today because um, it's like the church got one over on us, right? They didn't really ever make right the situation. Um, but, um, you know, as my brother Paul says, um, you know, anger can consume you, right? So, you know, being angry, you know, that it's a feeling, but it wasn't necessarily doing, you know, any good or kind of, you know, trying to turn this into education or something, you know, positive so others could learn from it. So, um, you know, I think the, the book has been very much you know, a process for me, a therapeutic process in terms of sorting through all the feelings, right? There were times early on where I would write a lot of the book, you know, then I would, I would put it aside for a couple years because, you know, I was at a, I wasn't quite sure which direction I wanted to go. Um, uh, you know, I was trying to get a publisher. I ended up self-publishing um, because, you know, I, I met with a lot of rejections, a, a lot of the, um, agents I did hear back from said, you know, we really just don't think this is the right format for the, the story. Maybe you should do a, a documentary, a video, but we, we don't see a book in this. Um, and I guess, you know, that, that's the other um, thing is, you know, since it has been so well received, it kind of validates that it is a good format. And um, interestingly enough, the people who've read it and written reviews and sent me notes um, have said that even though it's a difficult topic, a lot of them have read it in one day because they find it so engaging once they get into it. Um, even though, um, you know, it, it brings up, you know, a lot of emotions. One of, uh, Michael's, uh, high school friends said, you know, she read the whole book in a tear filled day. Uh, so obviously very moving in many ways, but, um, it is engaging and, you know, I, I think if I had published it two years after his death, it probably would have had a lot of undertones of anger and, you know, probably would have turned people off from his story. Um, but, you know, as I evolved, you know, I think 
that helped me a great deal to present it in a more balanced way. Um, so much so that, like I said, one of my friends is like, it doesn't even seem like you're angry. Well, you know, I, yes, I mean, the, there, there are still feelings of, of anger because, um, you know, and they continue to get away with it, right? In terms of, you know, they spend money lobbying against victims' rights. Um, and it's just, it's just not right. Um, and it's still, you know, to this day, it's like, well, if you had the victim's well-being truly, you know, and, and they're supposed to be a moral authority, right? So, mm -hmm. um, you know, this, this is like the ultimate violation is the place that's supposed to protect good and innocence shatters it in turn because they um, betray the trust that people, people put in them. Um, so, uh, um, yeah. Um, so it's, you know, it's kind of a balance of all those emotions and, you know, trying to, um, you know, process them and put them into some positive direction or light. Yeah, no, I can understand that. It's very powerful. I, I'm curious, I understand that you said that you self-published and as I'm going through my own book writing journey, I'm also talking about a topic that's not really, not many people knew about. So I'm going to bring up a lot of stuff. And I know that there's going to be people out there that are going to be like, ah, oh, we can't, we're not comfortable with this. And there's so many people out there that are not comfortable with the topic that obviously needs to be told. So what do you tell those that are listening that want to write that book, that memoir, that hard to read, hard to tell story, but they want to get it out there, knowing that there's going to be publishers out there that are going to say, no, you're going to get a lot of rejection. So I see how, how you pushed through it and you were passionate about this enough to just say, you know what? Okay. I'm going to self-publish myself. How do you, what do you tell the rest of us who are like, who are going to get to that point where they're not going to be comfortable with what we want to do, but we want to do it. Yeah. And I, I would say just keep, keep moving forward. Um, you know, as, um, you know, technology has been great and that self-publishing is a viable option. Um, uh, and so, you know, if, if you ultimately have to self-publish and, and in many ways, I would say I've, I've enjoyed the self-publishing process. I um, worked with, um, I guess what I describe as a turnkey self-publishing group. It's called 1106 Design. It's out of um, Arizona and they were great to work with, right? So, I mean, I had the manuscript, you know, I was ready to go, you know, I was, I was motivated, you know, they, they helped me with the cover design, the book layout, you know, they've been through that whole process. So the, you know, the back cover copy, the, um, the uh, recommendations that you have to um, go after. So they really help bring it all together. Um, and, um, you know, it's the book, in, in my own case, um, self-publishing, it's available in all formats. It's on Amazon. Um, Ingram Spark um, is uh, one of the self-publishers out there um, in terms of the printing. Uh, so that's what I utilized. So you know, at first it's, it's very daunting. I mean, I read books on how to self-publish. I was probably overwhelmed. You know, I was never really going to do it all myself or be able to do it all myself because, you know, the graphics, you know, I didn't necessarily have or the mm -hmm. software, but, you know, there are resources out there where it is possible. So, you know, even though, you know, a publisher and I had some, um, 
you know, one agent in particular, um, I was working with a ghostwriter. They wanted to make it more a self-help book. So I, mm. I toyed around with that for a while. But, you know, ultimately, you know, my brother wanted something like a memoir. He wanted his writings in there. Um, and so I didn't think that was going to stay true to the vision of the book. And so, you know, that was that's the other thing I would encourage is, you know, stay true to your vision and what you think is right. Um, a lot of times, you know, your gut is right. Um, and, you know, on the subject of, you know, difficult topics, because um, I, I kind of went through the own debate sometimes as well. Okay, I'm gonna do this book. But are people going to read it because it is difficult. Um, but a, another friend of mine, she said, Well, you know, there are a lot of books on difficult topics. She's mm -hmm. like, you know, the, the diary of Anne Frank is a difficult book. But you know, that's obviously a, um, a good selling uh, book. Um, uh, uh, so, you know, just because they are difficult topics, I think um, almost sometimes it's easier to confront the difficult topics in books reading than in conversation because you can follow it and process it more. Whereas, mm -hmm. um, you know, talking through all those range of emotions sometimes is just hard for people. So I don't know, I kind of view the book sometimes as it's kind of, uh, you know, opening the door to that conversation. So if, you know, people then talk about it after they've read it or part of a, a book club, it kind of allows it um, via someone else's story and then maybe they work in their own story with different ways they identify. Um, so I think that can all be pulled together. And I, I think, um, you know, there are plenty of readers out there who, you know, they, they don't want to read all kind of roses and sunshine. They want to, you know, cause they know that's not, you know, there are difficulties and, you know, there is pain uh, in life and the pain is real uh, in a lot of stories and they, you know, they want to, um, read about it and, and learn more. Yeah, no, I, I, I love all of that. I think it is important to stay true. Don't let anybody detour you from what you want to capture there. It's gonna, I know there's going to be so many people out, out there that are going to make recommendations say, Oh, maybe you should do it this way. Or you should do it that way. Those are great. But I think you need to stay true to what you want to portray because that's ultimately it's your story, not anybody else's. Totally. I think that's so important. So I, how, how do you continue to keep the faith in what you believe in considering after everything that's happened? I, I can't imagine, I'm sure it was very difficult and you know, it happened so many years ago, but how do you continue to wake up each morning and continue to believe and have faith? Cause I know there's so many people out there that, let's say I don't believe in God anymore because of what had happened to me because God wouldn't have let this happen. All these different things and it's so hard. So how do you continue to do that? So, you know, on, on faith and the subject of religion, um, you know, I've, I've totally left the, the Catholic church in terms of kind of belief in general, I would probably say, you know, agnostic at best. Um, you know, because I think, you know, and some people, because I've, I've had um, friends of mine are still Catholic, and I, I had dinner uh, uh, with one of those people uh, back in March. Um, and he said, well, you know, if you don't believe in God, yeah, why, why, how can you be, you know, 
good or act good toward other people? Aren't you just going to have your own self-interest? And, um, you know, there's always a debate about, you know, faith and existence of God. But if, if you put all of that aside, you know, fundamentally, we're all human beings, right? And actually, in a way, if, if something else doesn't exist, right, after all of this, um, uh, it's, it actually makes this life even more important, meaning we, you know, we should be kind to each other. Um, and, and so, you know, I think sometimes, and, you know, I saw this growing up, sometimes Catholics, it's always about preparing for, you know, heaven or getting to heaven. And they, they worry so much about the next life that mm-hmm. maybe they're not focused on the, the present. Um, right. And so, you know, for me, um, you know, because everything was shattered, um, you know, I couldn't, you know, even going to, um, you know, I I can do it now, but, you know, there were a couple years I couldn't go to friends' weddings because it just brought back, you know, so many emotions in terms of a, you know, a Catholic church and stepping into that. And, um, you know, because people have had great experiences, right? So people who haven't necessarily been abused or seen the dark side, right? They don't necessarily relate to it totally. But, you know, for someone who's been through so much and you go into that place, it triggers a lot of, you know, deep emotions that, you know, are, um, you know, are disruptive and, um, you know, kind of make you relive the pain because of how much you were violated. Um, You know, so for me, and, um, you know, and, and it's not that, you know, people who, you know, still have their faith, you know, that, that's fine too. It's, you know, it's what works for them. Um, but, you know, for me, it's more about, um, you know, still living, um, you know, a, a good life, an honorable life, taking care of my loved ones, uh, trying to do things positive in the world um, uh, and, and, and making a difference. Right. No, that's really good. That's, that's, that shows how, how strong you are because I, yeah, like I said, there's just so many people out there who just give up completely on any and everything because of what had happened to them. So I think it's, that's really important to know. So what kind of work do you do now to try to end this, end this uh, child sex, child sex abuse? Sure. Um, So, you know, a lot of it is, um, advocacy. Um, uh, my sister Frances through our foundation, uh, is very involved in the Pittsburgh area where she still lives. I, I live in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, uh, and so in Pennsylvania, there continues to be action toward trying to lift the statute of limitations for good. Um, because, you know, similar to how the book is titled the murder of innocence, I view child sex abuse as akin to murder right? Because it's destroying innocence. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there shouldn't be a two-year statute, a five-year statute. Um, People should be able to be held accountable, you know, for um, as long as they're alive and even beyond that, um, if the institution itself did something wrong to protect uh, the perpetrator. So, um, you know, it's continuing to to be active um, with the, the book, getting the message out there, um, being present for different events um, uh, and rallies on this topic. Um, and, um, 
you know, being there for, for other victims. I've had uh, people reach out, actually, you know, Dorsch, my brother, uh, my brother's perpetrator, um, uh, abused hundreds of boys in the Pittsburgh area. Um, some of them, similar to my brother, died by suicide. Um, others are still alive um, who have reached out to me and have said, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you, you know, writing this. It's a story that needs to be told. Um, you know, some of them themselves kind of say, you know, I'm not sure I could ever tell it in that way. And, um, you know, you've, you've done a great job articulating the, the pain um, that we go through as a result of uh, being abused. So, you know, it's, it's being there for the, the victims in a variety of ways. If that's, you know, as simple as getting a, a text or an email from them and making a connection and that, you know, brings some peace to them in terms of knowing that, you know, someone got it and someone, you know, put, put the story out there. Because um, uh, otherwise, I think, you know, and, and my brother, as successful as he was, um, and it, it always bothered me that the abuse had this effect on him, is he did feel ashamed. He would say he felt dirty, right? It was almost as if it was his fault or he just wanted to take like a, you know, a deep cleaning bath or, you know, pressure washer or something and like get the residue off of them, but he couldn't, he couldn't ever shake it. Um, and it, it bothered me because all of that, all of that sits with the perpetrators. Um, the victims didn't do, you know, anything wrong. These are, you know, my brother's abuse started when he was 10, like a month after our dad died. And you have this, you know, mid thirties, you know, this, you know, literal father figure in terms of the church and our dad just dying who you know tells you that your dad would want this relationship and you know does things to you unimaginable um uh you know and it, it's in the book Th these aren't light touches or anything i mean this is explicit you know sexual behavior that you know adults um uh you know would do to each other not a 10 year old and a a guy in his mid thirties. Um, and, you know, I, um, I mentioned it in the, the preface, um, but I'm reminded of it now. Um, I would actually love for the pedophiles to read the book so that they can see the pain they cause. Um, in Michael's case, Dorsch, um, the, the priest who abused him, um, he wrote him a quote unquote apology letter. Um, and that's part of the book. But you see, even in that letter, that he really stops short of admitting to it. He, he does these vague phrases as, you know, I never meant anything but our time together to be uh, anything that you wanted it to be. Um, you know, I, I'm sorry if those memories provide any discomfort. And it's, it's like, dude, that's, <laughs> that's not what happened. I mean, yeah. you you did unthinkable things to my brother and other um, individuals. I mean, this is, you know, um, uh, just, ju just crazy um, that um, someone would do it. So, um, you know, I, I would like for them to read it. And if, you know, if they have a problem, get help. Don't destroy someone else's life. Um, because of you know your own sick 
desires or wishes or, you know, preying on innocent people. Absolutely. No, I, I, I absolutely think that they should read it. <laughs> they really should, because they have no idea what they do to children and for the rest of their lives. It's incredible. So your organ, you said you have an organization? Yes, it's the Michael R. Unglo Just Be Foundation. Uh, so it's a, it's a nonprofit. I uh, started it a few months after my brother passed away. And that was really the first you know, public um, presence of his story. Um, and it's a, it's a smaller foundation. Um, we raise money for advocacy for um, uh, scholarships as well to those who might be in um, uh, victims themselves or maybe they're um, in the space of healthcare um, treating um, victims of child sexual abuse. Um, uh, and so it's, it's been a, another positive outlet for people to, you know, know my brother's story, but then to turn around, um, and to try to help, um, another victim. Um, but that's, um, it'll be coming up on its 10th year, uh, anniversary, uh, later this year. Um, that's amazing. Oh my gosh. So where can people find you at the, uh, Michael B. Unglo Foundation website? Yes, my, um, uh, I have a few different ways of uh, being contacted. Um, uh, my uh, Gmail is authorsamunglo at gmail.com. Um, uh, I'm also, you know, my biggest social media presence right now is on uh, Facebook. Um, my, my name's unique in that I'm probably the only one you'll find in the country. So, uh, um, um, uh, it's a good benefit, I guess, if people are trying to reach you, um, versus a more, more common name. Uh, but yeah, the, the best email for me, um, you know, with respect, uh, to the book is author, A-U-T-H-O-R, uh, Sam Unglo at gmail.com. Perfect. Oh my gosh. Well, I, I thank you so much for, for being on here and for sharing the story for, for Michael. Um, I, 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 I have, I'm speechless because I think it's, it, it's, it took a lot of strength to do that, a, a bravery, everything you can imagine. And I'm glad that you, that you did this. I'm so glad that you did this because people need to hear it. They need to hear it and they need to listen and they need to speak up. And, right. and I think that's, what's, that's really important. So thank you so much for being on here today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Annette. It's, it's been a pleasure. Absolutely. And you let me know if there's anything I could do to help with this foundation. I am going to share all the social media links on the show notes. I'm going to get this out there. But yes, let me know if there's anything I could ever do for you in the future. Okay. Uh, same here. I'm, I'm happy to help in, in any way as well. Thank you so much. I will talk to you soon. All right, Annette. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Truths We High podcast, created and founded by your host, Annette, the founder of A Wild Ride Call Life. Also, a big thank you to all of our sponsors for each and every episode that is aired. We have so much support from them and all of our listeners. You can find more information at www.awildridecalllife.com.